This is the soggy day that the Lord hath made. Let's stand and sing. This is a day, this is a day that the Lord hath made, that the Lord hath made. We will rejoice, we will rejoice and be glad in it, and be glad in it. This is a day that the Lord I was waiting for a drum roll, too. <laughs> Genesis, 3, Genesis 3, 6 says that when the woman saw that the tree, tree produced fruit that was good for food, was attractive to the eye, was desirable for making one wise, she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some of it to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can come together today to celebrate the fact that what happened in Eden can be corrected through your son, Jesus. And we're so blessed. Father, as we lift up Jesus today, I pray that we do so with hearts of joy because we get, a, we get to worship the creator of heaven and earth. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. Good to see everybody today. It's a beautiful morning in the building. And uh, we're glad that you're here to worship with us today. Please make sure you take time to fill out your connection card this morning. You can find them in the seats in front of you or you can do it online. For those, obviously, who are watching online, we ask that you do the same thing. Before we continue, we're going to give you exactly three minutes. Please go around and say hi to somebody you haven't talked to this morning. If you're an introvert, if you're an introvert, we're really sorry. <laughs> Here we go.
would love to thank God for the year that he has given me reason to know that when he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, he meant it. It's been quite a year. I want to thank you for the cards, for the cookies, love those, for the donuts, thank you. You were a great witness to a lot of caregivers because whenever someone would come and leave, they'd say, I thought you said you didn't have any relatives here in town. And I said, this is my church family. This is my pastor and his wife. And they're going, what church do you go to? We've never seen so many people come to visit someone. Thank you for being a loving church family.
Yeah, she, she's tough. I'm telling you what. I don't, I don't want to meet Ruth in an alley somewhere. <laughs> well, today we're beginning week three of Core 52. And over the first couple of weeks, one of the things that we notice is it all started out well. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. Man, you guys are lame. What is up with that? <clears throat> Genesis 1.1. And, um, and when he did that, he also created man and his, or humans in his image. All was good, except for one thing. God created Eve because God said that it was not good for Adam to be alone. Whenever God created something, he said it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. But then he looked at Adam and he said, poor guy, he needs somebody to tell him what to do. <laughs> hey, it's, now look, you're all on, but you know it's true. Come on. Don't be giving me that awe stuff. But Adam and Eve, they were in paradise. Life was good. God gave Adam and Eve freedom. They gave them run of the, of the house, if you will. He also loved them so much that he gave them the freedom to choose whether to obey and love God. The Garden of Eden was a perfect starting point for humanity. It was beautiful. It was bountiful. It was a paradise. It was a place that Adam and Eve could grow in their relationship with each other as well as with God. From this garden, they could build humanity into a glorious civilization. But something went very, very wrong. Both the Old and New Testaments point to what happens in Genesis 3 as to why, it, as to why and where it went off course. Have you ever had a good thing going in your life and life was good? But then one day, you made a decision that caused everything to change. Maybe even caused you to lose everything you had. See, Adam and Eve lived in paradise in the Garden of Eden. Life seemed perfect. But was it? This change is the subject of our message today. What happened in the Garden is what we call the fall. Very simple. And we're going to begin this morning, as we look at the fall, by looking at Genesis chapter 3. We're going to go ahead and look at the first six verses, and then we'll reference back to them. But as you look at this passage, we're going to learn some things that I hope will help us as we try to fight that fall in our life, because we all do, and we'll see that in a moment. But Genesis chapter 3, <clears throat> starting at verse 1. Now the serpent was shrewder than any of the wild animals that the Lord had, God had made. He said to the woman, Is it really true that God said you must not eat from any tree of the orchard? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit from the trees, or excuse me, we, we may eat of the fruit from the trees of the orchard, but concerning the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the orchard, God said, You must not eat it, and you must not touch it, or else you will die. The serpent said to the woman, Surely you will not die. For God knows that when you eat from, the, from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. The woman saw that the tree produced fruit, that it was good for food, it was attractive to the eye, it was desirable to make one wise. 
So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some of it to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. So what we'll see, first of all, this morning is the fall, and our individual falls resorts usually from this, distorted truth. There are distortions that happen in our life that leads us to the point where we're willing to do what we probably should, well, what we shouldn't do. Adam and Eve had it made. They had perfection. They walked in the garden with God. But yet, something changed, and it started with distorted truth. What happened to make them throw it all away? You know, a lot of times for years when I've read the, 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 this narrative of the fall, I pictured Eve all by herself, poor little Eve, and the, and the serpents having this conversation with her, and her, her husband was nowhere to be found. But the truth of the matter is, the scripture says he was with her. So he's watching all this unfold. When you look at the garden from the outside, it looks perfect. But Adam and Eve, they were in a beautiful place. They were in a close relationship with God. They were so close that God himself walked in the garden, according to Genesis 3.8. But something happened in the garden that God hoped, but he knew would happen. Disobedience and sin. The word sin is not found in the text, but sin simply is, the principle is there. The sin is literally, excuse me, the word sin means to miss the mark. And the principle is very plain to see. It's to fall short of who God is, his nature and his character. And this is what Adam and Eve did. In other words, Adam, or God set the garden up and said, you can have anything, anything in here you want but this one thing. And so the way they fell short, the way they sinned, is God said, you can't have that one thing, but they did. And so they were disobedient to God. So their, their disobedience did not reflect the character and the nature of God. Remember that we were all created in the image of God. So when we sin or we fall short of that image, it creates problems. And when you think about your own life, every sin that we've committed in our life has had some kind of reper repercussion. Some of them are very devastating. Some of them may seem minor, but they build over time. And the bad thing is none of us are immune to sin. As a matter of fact, Romans uh, chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So none of us are exempt except for Jesus. So how did Adam and Eve, and Av Adam and Eve fall short of the image that they were created in? Well, when God created Adam, he gave him free reign over everything, just as we said, except for one thing. God said the following just before he created Eve in Genesis 2. He says, the Lord took the man and placed him in the orchard in Eden to care for it and to maintain it. Then the Lord God commanded the man, you may freely eat fruit from any tree of the orchard, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat it, when you eat from it, you will surely die. Everything was available to him. Everything was available to him, but one exception. And the thing is, Adam knew that exception. God was very plain. As a matter of fact, in life, God lays out stuff to us so it's, it's very plain to see. We know what God expects from us. We see from Genesis 3 that Eve also knew that expectation. Now, we don't know where she got it from. She probably got it from Adam. We don't know, but more than likely. And when she, when we'll talk a little bit about a minute how she distorted truth herself. It wasn't just the, it wasn't just the serpent. <clears throat> but why did God plant the tree he said, you guys can't touch this. You can have anything you want, but not this. Well, the short answer, it's free will. 
See, for Adam and Eve to truly love God, they had to have the ability to choose to do so. They had to have a viable option. <clears throat> We've talked a lot about this concept, so I'm not going to go deep into it. But the fact is, when God created us, he wanted us to love him. To do that, you have to have a choice. If you could just take somebody, anybody on this planet, and make them, I said this before, make them love you, make them love you, and you knew you could, you had a potion, they were going to love you. They were going to tell you they love you, they are going to do whatever you wanted, blah, blah, blah. It might be fun for a while, but it would be so empty over time. Because in your heart of hearts, you would know, that person, I don't really know if they love me or not. Because I made them love me. I don't know about you, but I, I, don't, I wouldn't want that in a spouse. I wouldn't want that in people around me. I want people who truly care for me and love me around me. Well, all look good in the garden. Adam, Eve, God, they got to spend time together. But something was happening that would ever change humanity. It was a slow process. As each day passed, at least we know that Eve was given that forbidden tree a good hard look. You know, you sometimes you can't, I've always heard, you can't help what passes before your eyes, particularly guys, we're very visual. So if some young lady comes, or an older lady that's really well put together comes walking by, you can't help it. But what you can help is and cleaning the drool and then picking yourself off the ground after your wife smacks you for doing it. <laughs> but the fact is, what Eve did is she couldn't, maybe she couldn't help walking by the tree, it was in the middle of the garden, but what she could help is Oh, look at that. That looks so good. But what about the rest of the stuff? Oh, this just looks so much better. Well, over time, we don't know how long, but that longing within her for that fruit on that tree became increasingly enticing. Now think about this for a minute in your own life. <clears throat> when, you've had, when you have something, how often is you, have you seen something else that you really wanted worse? I used to be bad about this with cars when I was younger. My wife could tell it was time to get a new car. Honey, it's getting dirty. You know, it costs a lot of money to run that thing through the wash, you know. Exaggerating just a little bit. Not much, but a little bit. Um, because what happens is we quit being content with what we have. And we long and we lust for what we don't have. Matter of fact, I think it's in James, he talks about there was a lot of fighting going on in the early church because of that. But we start looking and looking and looking, and instead of saying, thank God for what I have, content, it's like, I'm bummed out for what I don't have. Adam and Eve had everything but one thing. It amazes me that what all, that's all that needed to happen for people to fall was one thing. It'd be different if God planted like a whole 10,000 acres of stuff. You can't touch any of this, and you had to care for it, but you couldn't eat it. You know, not touch, but you couldn't eat it. But it just was one thing. And they lusted for it. They longed for it. Well, enter the serpent. From other passages in Scripture, we know that this is Satan. Satan and, him, and God in, it was in the body of the serpent. We see this in Revelation uh, 12, 9, along with uh, 20, verse 2, and a bunch of verses in the Old Testament. But Satan had been watching this. He'd been watching Eve. He noticed the little side glances he noticed the slow walk as she walked by. He probably even noticed her maybe one time. Like, oh, mm, mm. Getting right on the edge. Right on the edge. So the serpent finds his time. Satan, as he does very well, 
knows when to strike and what to strike with. There's things in life that would not tempt me to the least. At the, at the least. You can put drugs, alcohol, tobacco, whatever. <clears throat> it's not going to bother me. But there's other things if you put before me, I'm like, oh, yeah, I like that. And Satan knows that. The serpent starts with a simple question, which, by the way, he knew the answer. Let's look at verse 1 again. Now the serpent was shrewder than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Is it really true that God said you must not eat from any tree in the orchard? Now in verse 2, as Eve listens to this, she corrects him by saying, Oh, we can freely eat of any tree in the garden. But then verse 3, she says, Except for one. Except for one. How did the serpent work Eve? How did he work her to the point where she was ready to strike he used a reliable old trick. It's called using half-truths. He, he baited her in with a half-truth. Satan did not make up some kind of a wild story that was just so incredibly dumb that, even, and it, that Eve would think, oh, that's dumb. But what he did is he used half-truths. And by the way, people that fall for cults, this is typically what happens. The cult leaders don't come up and tell you right off the bat, hey, here's what you're going to do. You're going to put on some purple Nikes and you're going to drink some poison and then you're going to get on the... They work you into it, okay, with half-truths. And Satan didn't make up this wild story. It sounded like, hey, Eve, it sounds like you can't eat any of these trees. You've got all these beautiful trees here, but you can't eat any. See, most people don't fall for bold-faced lies, they don't fall for, for bold-faced lies. Most people can, can see that for what it is. But half-truths are very difficult at times. The media thrives on half-truths. And we fall for it, by the way. Half-truths, though, allow us to believe whatever we want to believe. Because we can take half the truth and then just throw whatever we want on top of it. You know, have the Burger King truth, have it your way. Which we don't have Burger King in town anymore, unfortunately. <laughs> So the serpent tried to distort the truth with a half-truth. Now, when Eve answers his question in verse 3, what she does is she distorts the truth also. You know how she does it? What she does is she adds to the truth. When we are looking to disobey God, what we do sometimes is we try to make God's commands so cumbersome that the command seems impossible. So what she did is she knew she was told that hey you can't eat of that tree but what she added to it is we can't even touch it we can't even touch it and that seems subtle it's a subtle change but it's not what God said did God not tell did he tell Adam hey you can't touch it now it probably would be a good idea not to but maybe in the care of it but he didn't tell him that so it would be tough enough to say you know Eve, could, Eve would have to say well you know he said we can't eat it but we got everything else that doesn't sound too bad does it it's like going to the grocery store and, and I tell you, hey, you can buy whatever, anything you want in the store, but you can't buy the donuts. Now, what are you going to want? The donuts. That's the best thing in the store, let's be honest. But, um, but the thing is, this is what happened. And so she said, hey, we can't even touch it, lest we'll die. So what she's doing subtly, she's saying, man, this God dude, he is so hard. How can anybody not even touch it? It looks so good. And what we do is when we want to get to the point, and we do this when we're kids with our parents, <clears throat> we try to make 
what they want us to do seem worse than it is. How can anybody follow that? And then the serpent uses another half-truth. He tells her that she would not die if she ate the fruit. She says, oh, God, you can eat that. You're not going to die. The half-truth in that was this. No, it's true. She wasn't going to drop dead when she touched it or took a bite of it. She, took a bite. she wasn't just going to go plump, and it's the end of Eve. But rather, what was going to happen is she was going to begin the process of dying. The Hebrew in, in that part it's, literally says, dying, you shall die. When we're born, what are we doing? We're dying. <laughs> I thought about this last night. You know, For some reason, I was kind of tossing and turning in bed and thinking, man, my clock's getting shorter and shorter. But he told her, but what, 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 what Satan did is he used another half-truth. He says, you know, God knows that when you eat of this fruit that your eyes are going to be open. And you'll be like God. Well, the half-truth is that, yes, she would know good from evil. But the lie was she would be like God. See, she couldn't be like God because she's not God. You can't be like God because you're not God. And so he just filled her full of half-truths, and she fell for it. So how can you resist falling for this in your life? You do it by understanding the whole truth and not half of it. You know, we're educating children anymore in, in our school systems not to think. We're just telling them to obey. And I'm really surprised, particularly coming from the 60s generation that didn't want to obey anything, that they have the nerve to tell people, you need to just believe what we said when they didn't believe anything. And I'm not criticizing that. You should question stuff. You should question anything and everything. But the fact of the matter is, when you don't understand truth, you'll fall for anything. And the media knows this. Back in the 50s, it was one of the, I don't think it was the chief justice, one of the Supreme Court justices said, you know, if we don't quit using this phrase separation of church and state, people will think it's in the Constitution. Gee, what happened? He was a prophet, wasn't he? It's not in there. They're referencing a letter that Jefferson wrote to Danbury Baptist, I think in 1809. And that was not the context of which he used. But anyway, the way that you can combat falling is not falling for half-truths. If you know the whole truth, you won't fall for half. Let's look at verses 4 through 6. The serpent said to the woman, Surely you will not die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. When the woman saw that the, tree, that the tree produced fruit that was good for food, it was attractive to the eye, it was desirable for making one wise, she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some of it to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Another reason that our fall and the fall happened is this, another area of distortion, distorted desires. <laughs> The serpent played on another part of Eve's weakness and our weakness, desires, our desires. When we have distorted desires, those desires will lead us to a fall. The serpent knew how to tempt Eve. He knew how to seduce her basically in three ways. And when you understand where your temptations flow from, it's much easier to be able to combat them. In other words, if you're kind of clueless, you're just going to fall for it. But if you have an understanding, it's like, okay, I see what this is appealing to. You can fight it off. 
See, temptation itself is not the sin. It's what we do with it. Jesus was tempted in all ways, but yet he was without sin. Eve was not content with all, with all that God had given her. You would think God says, hey, I've given you this beautiful place to live. You're not going to have to spend money on clothing because you guys don't realize what's going on here. And you would think it would be perfect. They would have plenty to eat. It would be good. But yet she wanted the one thing she couldn't have. She was not content with what God had given her. She wanted more. Eve wasn't happy with herself either. She wanted more. There are areas, there are three areas from which almost, pretty much, I almost could say all temptations flow. 1 John 2, 7, 16 and 17 touches on this. It says this, Because all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, the arrogance produced by material possessions, is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away with all its desires, but the person who does the will of God remains forever. See, we are driven we are hooked in to falling for temptations when they hit us in the desires of the flesh, pleasure. She saw the tree produce good fruit. It was good for food. It looked good. She wanted it. We're also tempted by the desire of the eyes, which things that we want, possessions. She saw the fruit was attractive to the eye. And we're also lured into falling to temptations that boast the arrogance of life. She saw that that was going to make her wise. And she wanted to be like God. She wanted to replace God. Instead of desiring to follow the will of God, don't eat the fruit of this tree, but have everything else you want. Eve was lured into thinking she was missing out on something. That God was cheating her out of something. First John tells us that those who do the will of God will remain forever. And all God asks is just don't do this one thing. But yet, think about all the temptations that we have succumbed to in our lives. They fall under these areas. The desire for more, the desire for, for pleasure, the desire to, you know, that boastful pride of life. Jesus was tempted by these things when he was in the wilderness. Satan hit him with all three of them, and he resisted. How many families and lives have you seen that were torn apart by a spouse who says they love their spouse, but sees another person and they want them? They have them? and then only to see their family destroyed. This is the exact path that King David took with Bathsheba. He saw her, he was up, he, first of all, he should have been out in the battle and said he wasn't. He's on top of the roof, he sees Bathsheba. We don't know if she was trying to be seen, doesn't matter, he didn't have to look that hard, he would have noticed her, but he saw her, and then he's like, man, that's a smoke show, I want that. Go get her, go get her, come on. And then he had her. See, it, it, it appealed to so much in his life. It appealed to so much in his life. Eve could have had anything in that garden she wanted, but what did she do? Focused on the one thing she couldn't have. I've seen this in marriages. I remember a young lady who talked about another place that I was, and she, all she would talk about when you get her in discussions is the one guy that got away. And I'm like, wait a minute, you're married. I don't know about you guys, but if my wife started talking about that, we'd be, we're going to have some problems. <laughs> and in turn, it ended up, in part, she won't ever take credit for this, but I believe it was a big part of why her marriage was ruined. Because imagine being somebody married to somebody that says, oh yeah, I've got you, but I really, uh, this one got away. 
That's messed up. And when we aren't content with what God has blessed us with, whether it be our spouse or whether the blessings that we have, we'll go to great lengths to get that one thing that we're looking for. And it ruins many people. Let's drill down into verse 6 again to see our last distortion. When the woman saw that the tree produced fruit, that it was good for food, it was attractive to the eye, and was desirable for making one wise, she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some of it to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. So the fall and our fall many times results from this third thing, third area of distortion, distorted perception. When you consider the tree, the tree was enticing to the eyes, enticing to the stomach, but that's not what really hooked Eve in. Now, some people could say, well, why'd that thing have to look so good? Well, that's part of making that free will choice. You know, for those of you who are married, let, let's be honest. There are people out there that may be more attractive than your spouse. My wife doesn't have that problem, but no, but, and I don't have that problem. But I'm just saying, we know there's, there's a lot of beautiful people out there. So what? Who are you committed to? Who'd you make those vows to? Who'd you promise to be with till death do you part? It doesn't matter. When I worked in the factory, it killed me. We had, some, we had a lot of college interns working there from the University of Missouri and from Stevens College. It was an all-girls college. And let me tell you, I'm not going to lie, these were some fine-looking young ladies. God really knew what he was doing when he put them together. But what got me is the guys, when these girls would walk by, they'd sit back and talk about what they'd like to do with them. Like take them out to dinner and buy them stuff. And you, you get, it was a lot worse than that. And one day I'm sitting there and I looked at these guys and said, dude, you're married. And they're like, dude, you're not telling me you wouldn't have whatever with them if they propositioned you? I said, no, I'm married. Oh, come on. What if they came up and they had their Eve attire on, to put it delicately? What would you do then? I said, okay, I'm going to be honest with you. I'd probably see it. <laughs> but it doesn't matter what they look like. I'm married to my wife. I'm committed to my wife. And they just thought I was crazy. Well, now we're pushing 39 years of marriage, two years of dating. It's worked well. And most of those folks are on marriage who knows what. See, She wanted what she couldn't have. But my point with that was God could have made that tree just ugly, nasty, and full of, full of disease and full of mold and everything else, and she would have never been tempted, would she? Who wants to eat a moldy-looking tree? It doesn't matter what the tree looked like. God said, don't, you don't have it. It doesn't matter what any other female on the planet looks like. I've got mine. Well... The serpent shared something with Eve that pushed her over the top. And we've mentioned it. This goes back to the half-truths. If she ate the fruit, here's what got her. She would be like God. She would be like God. You know what's funny? We may kind of chuckle at that, but we want the same thing today. See, we want to replace God because we want to make the rules we want to determine our own destiny. I want to be my own God because I don't want to be accountable to anyone. I've always said this. There's no such thing as an atheist. 
Everyone has a God. It just depends on who it is. An atheist, it's themselves. They would never tell you that. And I don't think they go around saying, I'm my own God. But when you dig down into the weeds, that's exactly what's gone on. Why? I don't, there's no God. I'm not bound by those rules. Or even somebody as simple as saying, well, if you're a good person, you go to heaven. What are you doing? You're determining who goes to God's house. So the problem is, there's a God in heaven, and it's not us. And when we go down this destructive path of removing God from his position in our lives, nothing good comes from it. Because we try to be who he isn't. Who he is, I should say, because we cannot be that. Um, if I decided I wanted to identify, because we're big into identities these days, that I want to identify as a multi-billionaire, okay, that's cool, I can have that delusion until I start writing checks. And once I start writing the checks, I can't cash them. I don't have the, I don't have the bank to cash multi-million dollar checks because I'm not a millionaire. I'm not a billionaire. I mean, in this country, every one of us in here are wealthy, comparatively. Well, we're not God. We were never meant to be God, and we are not capable of being God. And then one of the, one of the religions around here that says you're going to be a God of your own planet, that's going to be a train wreck. You can't be what you're not. And by the way, you're not going to be an angel when you go to heaven either. Angels are angels. People are people. God is God. You're not going to be a God. You're not going to be an angel. You're going to be who you are. Here's the problem. We're not God. We weren't meant to be God. So when we try to replace God, what we do is we start to, when we start making the rules, we live by our base instincts, our lower instincts. I want what I want, when I want, how I want it. We become self-centered. We become selfish. If you want to reach greatness in life, even if you're not a Christian, you gotta aim for something higher than yourself. Something that's with higher potential versus sinking down to our lowest base instincts. And what ends up happening with people is they end up, when they replace God and they take his place, what they do is they're living on their base instincts. They will never achieve the greatness that they could. Now, oh yeah, will they be rich sometimes? Will they, will they look successful? Yeah. But when it's all said and done, have they really achieved what they were born to achieve? The answer to that is no. See, the serpent was half, half right. When he said, hey, when you eat of this, your eyes are going to be open. You're going to know good from evil. And sure, boy, she did. All of a sudden, Adam and Eve looked at each other. Ah, you're naked. You know? And then they covered themselves. And then, of course, the fashion industry begins. But anyway, she could not be like God. The half falsehood of that is she would be like God. She could not be like God because she was not God. The serpent sought to get Eve not to trust God by saying, you know, God's cheating you. He didn't say it this way, but this way, you know what? God just doesn't want you to be like him. Uh, you ever worked for somebody that you felt was holding you back because they were jealous? They didn't want you to get, you know, they could see your potential and they probably knew you were even better than them, but they were going to do everything they could to keep you from achieving. And this is what people think, this is what Eve, was. what Adam was trying, excuse me, Satan was trying to get Eve to see, see about God. Look, God's holding you back, dude. God is holding you back. And so what ended up happening is the truth of the matter is that God wanted Eve to reach her highest potential. The truth of the matter is in your life, God's commands aren't to be burdensome, but they're for your blessing. If you go look at all the things that God has said for us to do and show me one of them that's going to be destructive in your life, that's going to ruin your life, you can't find one.
because they're all for your betterment. The truth it was that when that God wanted Eve to reach her highest, he wasn't cheating her, he wasn't holding her back, he wasn't trying to hurt her, he wanted what was best for her. Here's the fact of the matter. You will only follow and obey God to the level that you trust him. And that's the truth. Adam and Eve had it made. The serpent went after Eve, he knew her weakness, and then her big glued husband standing right next to her, not doing a thing, just watching it, said, okay, I'll have some too. The serpent hit her at her base instincts of pleasure, possession, and pride. And you know what? It worked. The enemy seeks to, destroy, to, to distort the truth, to distort our desires, and distort our perception of, of ourselves. I'm going to be honest with you. There's one thing, and I, don't, I can't remember. I, I meant to look this up when it started. You know what I hate? Nutrition labels. Those stu- I'm going to a restaurant. It just ruins my day when I'm getting ready to have a nice big old plate of food. We were at Olive Garden the other night. I saw one dish, and I'm thinking, I'm 18, or 1,980 calories. <sighs> now, see, if I buy a bunch of stuff that equals that and don't do the math, it's okay. But the thing is, if I don't see the numbers on the box of donuts, when I eat the whole box of donuts, it won't cause me to gain weight because ignorance is blessed, right? If only that were true. But with the nutrition labels, and actually I do like them, it just frustrates me when I see, gosh, I'm going to I'm have to ride 98 miles to run off this piece of candy. Um, the thing I like about them is they tell you, what they're kind of doing is they're kind of telling you what you're paying. They're kind of giving you the price of admission. They're telling you, if you eat this, here's the result. This is what you're going to get. Now, sometimes I've eaten something, man, that just wasn't worth it. And other times, like, yeah, that was worth it. Because I knew the price. Now, see, when you're in the midst of temptation, guess what happens? The tempter, he will only tell you the fun you'll have. Man, those donuts are going to be so good. And people talk, debate where the best donuts are. You know where the best donuts are? Wherever I walked in and they have them. (laughs) I'm just telling you. I don't like cake donuts, though. So anyway. Um, They only tell you the fun you'll have. Your temptation doesn't come with a warning label. Nor does it come with a label that gives you the actual cost of the temptation. You ever visited a car lot in Tucson or Phoenix because you looked at an ad, and it gives you this, oh, you can get this car for X amount of dollars. And then you get there, and you find out, well, there's this fee, and that fee, and this fee, and that fee, and this fee, and you don't qualify for this one. They give every single discount known to man. You know, like, hey, you get the third arm discount. Oh, sorry, you don't qualify. You only have two arms. You know, and then you've made that trip all the way to Tucson and Phoenix, thinking you knew the price of the vehicle when you really didn't. Well, what happens to us is when, we give, when we're given the temptation, we only know half the truth. We know the fun part. We don't look at the devastation. Put that needle in your arm. Oh, you're going to feel good. But they're going to tell you what's going to happen weeks later when you keep doing it and you keep doing it. Hey, look at that girl or gal. Man, they're they're fine looking. They're available. Oh, it could be fun for a, a few minutes. But they don't tell you how it's going to destroy your family, devastate your spouse, destroy your kids, your grandkids, your parents. See, temptation, unfortunately, doesn't come with a nutrition label. 
And once you start to realize the full cost of what you're going to do, it's like, you know, I, I really do this. I'll look at some foods and I'll say, okay, is this worth it? And some of them are. There's some things, like, yeah, tiramisu, that's worth it. Um, other things aren't. So what we need to understand is that God is trying to protect us. Adam and Eve fell. We fall. But there's a way to fix it. Next week, Jerry's going to take us into week four as we begin, as we're in the last of our beginning series in Core 52 on a message on covenant. And we start to see the repairs that can start to happen. This morning, our praise team is going to come up and lead us in a song of decision. And if you've not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward this morning to do that. God loves you so much. You know, when he created Adam and Eve, he knew it was going to happen. He didn't make it happen, but he knew it was going to happen. And, and when that happened, when it was in the very, in eternity past, God had a plan so that we could be with him because that's why he created us. He knew we'd stumble. He knew we'd fall. But he also knew that there would be a way to fix it. And this morning, if you need that fix, which you do if you don't have it, we invite you to come forward this morning. We're going to stand and sing a song of decision together. If you have a decision to make for Christ, if you'd like to make First Christian your home as an immersed believer, if you'd like to have some time, if you'd like to be prayed for, we invite you to come forward this morning. We're going to stand together and sing our song of decision. What a friend we have in Jesus.
on the inside of your bulletin, we have announcements for this week. Um, Roger's group's meeting this evening. Jerry's groups will be meeting today. LOL meets this Tuesday at Jules' home. Uh, we have all of our Wednesday evening things going on. Uh, your giving statements are in the uh, mail slots in the mail system, if, if you haven't picked yours up yet. Uh, Peach's Pantry is in need of ramen, noodles, and snacks. And there's going to be a Singspiration at Whetstone on the 28th. Also, during Super Bowl Sunday, we're going to have a game night here at church. And you can bring stuff. We'll have games over in the other building, and we'll show hopefully the Chiefs and uh, hopefully the 49ers. That'd be fun on the, on the big screen here. And before we uh, go to our prayer time, I've got a memory verse video for you. Hopefully you've been doing them. Core verse number three. It's a longer verse to memorize, so we're going to have to really concentrate. But remember, keep reviewing your previous verses. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.1. Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, Genesis 1.26. Remember, keep reviewing. I'm not going to go over the three rules again, because we really need our time to focus on this long verse. Here's another memory trick, however. So this would be uh, memory trick number four. Break longer verses down into smaller units. This verse has two parts. Three parts in the first half three parts in the second half. It begins with so, 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 when the woman saw, 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 so, when the woman saw. I know it sounds silly, it's effective. So, when the woman saw, what did she see? That the fruit of the tree was good for food. That the fruit of the tree was good for food. That the fruit of the tree was good for food. And maybe you want to kind of, uh, pluck a piece of fruit and put it to your mouth. So when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food. So when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food. So when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food. And that it was a delight to the eyes. And that it was a delight to the eyes. And that it was a delight to the eyes. And that it was a delight to the eyes. What did she see? Two things so far. That the fruit of the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and you know, kind of point to your eyes. When the, so, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, and that the tree, we're going back to the tree, she saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and desired to make one wise. I think I said desirable earlier. Again, if you don't get it exactly right, no pressure, get as close as you can. The point is to know the verse, not get caught up in exactness. So, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree, we're going back to the tree, was desired to make one wise, what did she do? She took its fruit and ate. She took its fruit and ate. You can use the same uh, kind of motion. She took the fruit and ate. And also, this is part two. What did she do? First is what she saw. Second is what she did. So when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes 
and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. What does she do? That's the first half, three things. What does she do? She took its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And the third thing, he ate. She took, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Might use a different hand. So let's try it all together. Genesis 3, verse 6. So, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, what did she do? She took of the fruit, or she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Genesis 3 verse 6. Might need a little more work. It's a little longer verse, but three to five minutes is about normal. Good luck. The motions are easy this week. <laughs> Don't know why that happened. I'll have to look into that. So work on your verse this week. It is